Hello, I'm Brett Dillon, and this is The Movie Chronicles. This episode examines animation in the year 2021. Let's start in Scotland via the USA for The Loud House Movie. Director Dave Needham, script Kevin Sullivan and Chris Viscardi, editor Peter Ettinger, music Christopher Lenertz and Philip White, actors Asher Bishop, David Tennant, Michelle Gomez and Billy Boyd. Nickelodeon makes some fine product. Mention of the company will give Cognoscenti a good idea of what to expect from the Loud House movie. The Loud House TV series ran from 2014 until today, but that via TV specials and this movie. It is the tale of 11-year-old Lincoln Loud and his 10 sisters. The movie is a cash-in on the show's popularity. What I wasn't expecting was that I would like the music for the movie. Thanks, Christopher Lennitz and Philip White. Lincoln Loud is the only boy in a family of overachieving sisters. What he doesn't realize is that he is an organizational genius. He feels left out and overshadowed by his sisters. Inspired to discover what he is good at, Lincoln turns to family history and discovers they migrated from Scotland. Cut to travel montage ending with a submarine delivering them to Loch Loud. In a series of plot twists, there's a dragon, ghosts, and Lincoln trains to become the Duke of Loud. This is not how the process works, by the way. It is a conceit that caters to the US conception that any kid can be the Duke of Earl. Helping in his training is the castle groundkeeper. Sadly, not groundskeeper Willie. The villain is Morag, the housekeeper, who just wants peace and quiet and is prepared to destroy the entire village to get it. I think I'm turning Japanese. I really think so. That is why we're going to Japan for Saida no Yoni Kotoba ga Wakiagaru. Words bubble up like soda pop. Director Kayohai Ishiguru. Script Dai Sato. Actors Samagoro Ichikawa. Hana Sujisaki. Megumi Han. Nasuki Hanai. And Kikuku Inoue. The principal characters are Cherry, a shy boy who expresses himself through haiku, and Braces, a girl who forms part of the Smile channel on the internet. She is embarrassed by her buck teeth and wears a face mask to cover them. Nothing to do with COVID-19, apparently. Cherry's mother has developed a bad back, so he is filling in for her over the summer holidays at the old folks' home where she works. There she encounters Fujiyama, an old man obsessed with finding the picture disc Yamazukura. Cherry and Braces accidentally bump into each other and accidentally take each other's cell phones. This leads to a tentative relationship in which they track down the mystery of the record album. The animation uses bright pastel shades with an abstracted design, which really comes to the fore in the sunset sequences appropriate because the story is really about physical and metaphysical sunsets. Ask not for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee.
on. January the 1st, the USA passed 20 million COVID-19 infections with 1 million per day reported in a single week. January the 6th, traitor and insurrectionist Donald J. Trump encouraged his supporters to attack the US Capitol. Being a coward, he cowers away from the action. February the 9th, a joint World Health Organization stroke China investigation concluded COVID-19 was extremely unlikely to have been created in a laboratory. April the 2nd, Russia warned NATO against sending aid to Ukraine as its troops begin to build up along the border. April the 29th, the China National Space Administration launched the first module of a two-year space mission to create a space station. May the 14th, said administration landed a craft on Mars. August the 19th, Hurricane Ida struck New Orleans, USA. The president is silent about using a nuclear weapon to break up the storm. I guess President Biden is just not a very stable genius. October the 31st, Japan held a general election. There is a peaceful transfer of authority, basically because the previous coalition government remained in power. I was after the last cheese sandwich and I would have gotten it too if not for those dratted kids. Scooby-Doo, The Sword and the Scoob. Director and Script, Maxwell Adams. Director, Christina Sota and Melchior Zwire. Editor, Robert Ironreich and Michael Mangan. Music, Robert J. Kral. Actors, Nick Frost, Jason Isaacs, Matthew Iliad, Frank Welker, Ted Barton, Spike Brandt, Kate Mikushi and Greg Ellis. Scooby-Doo, the dog icon of the 70s, has not adapted well to the times. The barely-talking Scoob has become articulate. Shaggy looks like he belongs back in Woodstock. Fred still wears a cravat, but seems to have become stupid for comic effect, rather than the leader of the team. Daphne and Velma, you'll be glad to hear, still wear miniskirts. So much the same, and yet so different. This film exists only to poke fun at the original TV series. The series always had a problem. The team would investigate monsters and supernatural phenomena that would always turn out to be a man in a mask. His elaborate scam would have worked if not for those blasted kids. The narrative problem is that said man would always do the humanly impossible. Refer the opening to this film, which references a famous Twilight Zone episode. The monster is seen on the plane wing and then climbs on the fuselage, all while the plane is in flight. The problem was that, while the series encouraged critical thinking in children, it was also scientifically lazy. It promoted the idea that science solves all mysteries, while plotting in the narrative scientifically impossible or, or extremely improbable events. 
This mix of science and magic is made explicit in this film. It is what I found so disappointing about it all. The message of the series was a good one, albeit performed in a very bumbling manner. The message of this film, that magic and science exist side by side, is not a good one. It is the type of thinking that got the congregation to drink the poisoned Kool-Aid. Shaggy, whose real name turns out to be Norval, not Lincoln, discovers he has British ancestry and takes the team to his ancestral village, Novielio Ermogana, which sounds Welsh to me. The village is about to celebrate the moment when King Arthur ceded the kingship to Sir Norval, who was then able to defeat Morgana Le Fay. The ghost of Morgana is a real party pooper, and sends the team spinning into the past, where they must defeat the schemes of a very real Morgana. They are aided by the wizard Merlin, and hindered by the cowardice of Scooby and Shaggy. Well, after all this chaos, I think we need a little organisation. Let's go to Russia. They're organised for corruption. Which comrade said that? Hansel, Gretel i Agenstivo Magi. Secret Magic Central Agency. Director Alex Tisillin. Script Annalisa Labianco, Vladimir Nikolov and Jeffrey Spencer. Music Brad Breck and Gabriel Hayes. Actors Nicholas Corder, Silvana Joyce, Alison Lee Rosenfeld, Courtney Shaw, Erica Schroeder, and Georgette Riley. I was surprised that Russia would take money from Netflix, and even more surprised that Netflix was allowed to sculpt Russia almost completely out of the picture. Computer animation films from all around the world have a soul-sucking sameness and look, characters, and colours. This cannot be good. Secret Magic posits a world of magic that is under control through government licensing. Even black magic has to be licensed. This is a world of fairy tale characters, although we only meet a few. Stepmother, who runs the agency, Gretel, the top agent, Hansel, her wastrel brother, and Baba Yaga, the child-eating witch. The film opens with the kidnapping of the king by food motivated by dark magic. Gretel tracks down a circus owner who has kidnapped a sentient octopus and a mermaid. She releases them and reports back to find her case was the last lead on the kidnapping. The trail is now cold. Stepmother suggests they need someone who can see the problem from the beast's point of view. I'm sure that's what I heard. It's a very peculiar turn of phrase and doesn't lead to anything in the narrative. She orders the arrest of Gretel's brother Hansel. As an aside, the design for Stepmother looked to be based on Queen Elizabeth II. Hansel and Gretel haven't spoken in years. Neither are happy to be ordered to work together to solve the case. Hansel suggests they start looking in the pastry district. I couldn't follow the reasoning, but it has something to do with the food connection. Hansel likes pastry, so for him, that's as good a starting point as can be. 
they find a huge cache of pastries, some sentient cupcakes, the worst kind, trust me, and a magic ingredient that brings food to life. They also manage to blow the building up, and because magic potions were stored in the bakery, they are transformed into pre-teens. Children are not allowed into the secret magic center. The duo realize they must work alone. It is Gretel who suggests they visit Baba Yaga, the child-eating witch, as she is an acknowledged expert on potions and might recognize the secret ingredient in the food animation process. I suspect that it was the Russian animators, but I was proved to be wrong. Baba Yaga suggests they go to Mermaid Lake because the ingredient is the species of vanilla grown there. The king, just in case you have forgotten the film is all about him, not the peasants, has been imprisoned by his former chef, Elvira. She plans to marry the king because when the ceremony is complete, her magic powers will expand exponentially. She has been feeding the king love cookies to get his agreement and stealing vanilla from the mermaids to create enslavement cookies for the entire kingdom. You have to admire her ambition. The mermaid Gretel freed from the circus turns out to be a princess. She helps the dynamic duo track down Elvira, and after several fight and chase sequences, they triumph. Bet you didn't see that coming. The Russian cultural input to this film is confined to the character of a very disnified Baba Yaga and her walking hut. The impression this leaves is of cultural misappropriation. The film, intended for U.S. children, made in Russia, does not help U.S. children understand Russia. They see only a narcissistic reflection of themselves. Death was the expectorate of the year. On January the 16th. Phil Spector, record producer and murderer, born 1939. January the 28th. Vasily Lenovoy, the Russian actor, born 1934. February the 18th. Andrei Miagov, a Russian actor, born 1938. March the 23rd. George Segal, the US actor, Born 1934. April the 1st, Isamu Akasaki, the Japanese physicist, born 1929. June the 6th, Iichi Bekishi, the Japanese chemist, born 1935. June the 13th, Ned Beatty, the US actor, born 1937. July the 5th, Vladimir Menshov, the Russian actor, born 1939. August the 19th, Sonny Chiba, the Japanese actor, born 1939. November the 6th, Dean Stockwell, the US actor, born 1936. I guess it's only fair we now move to China for Wish Dragon, director and script, Chris Applehands. Script, 
Zhaokao Liu. Editor, Mike Andrews. Music, Philip Wong. Actors, Jimmy Wong, John Cho, Constance Wu, Natasha Liu Bordizo, Jimmy O. Yang, Aaron Yu, and Ian Chen. It's good to see a Chinese co-production that actually gets most of the details right. The fact China is a communist country in the sense of being a modified fascist dictatorship rather than an actual communist country is left unsaid and unexplored. China has recently embraced some aspects of capitalism in order to integrate with other economies. The result at least to a disinterested observer like myself, seems to be a two-tier society. The cat tier get to live the capitalist lifestyle, while the mice get to embody the communist ideal, which it in no wise resembles. The embrace of capitalism has only caused China to look more and more like a totalitarian dictatorship. Its recent power grabs have more in common with fascism's selective application of history than on any truly communist perception of history. But enough of China. There is much to deplore even in its recent history, just as there is much to admire. Wish Dragon is about the friendship between the young Din and Lina. Lina leaves the crowded city to move with her father to the new city next door. Her father becomes a big businessman and she becomes a model. The teenage Din takes a food delivery job. He wants to buy a present for Lina's 19th birthday to remind her that he still thinks of her. His last delivery of the day is to a nut job who claims to be a god. This customer pays for the delivery with a jade-coloured teapot. Inside the teapot is a wish dragon. At this point, the story takes on aspects of Aladdin, both the Chinese source and the Disney adaptation. The wish dragon has been tasked with granting three wishes to ten masters before he can enter heaven. Din is number ten. The wish dragon wants to hurry things along. He is helped in this scheme by three gangster types. They want to take the teapot from Din. He answers by wishing he were a martial arts master. Some serious butt-kicking occurs. The wish dragon becomes a dragon out of time. He's been in the teapot for a thousand years, after all. The modern world, to him, is full of marvels. This is particularly disturbing, as many of the wishes he suggests have already been supplanted by technology. Flying, for instance, or speaking to someone on the other side of China. Din, however, only wants to preserve his friendship with Lina. As the pair can't go to Lina's swanky party, formal wear only, naked dragons don't do formal wear, Din transforms into Dan, a wealthy dude. The spell will last for 24 hours. Lina's father is so impressed by this stud muffin, he sets up a date for Lina and Dan at a restaurant so expensive even the person collecting the tips needs to be tipped. At this point, Din makes the huge mistake of asking a wish dragon for dating advice. The advice is about 2,000 years out of date, or to be specific, the advice is dated. 
The gang after the teapot gate crashed this date, and the poor are forced to flee to the slum district, i.e. the old city. Lena reconnects with her old neighborhood and realizes she was happier there. Meanwhile, the leader of the gang is revealed. It is Lena's father. He's almost bankrupt and knows the secret of the teapot. The divide in Chinese society is revealed. He has been corrupted by greed. The wish dragon also makes a revelation. He was not always a dragon. He was once an emperor. So corrupted by greed, heaven punished him to return to earth to learn what it is to be human. It has been his tenth master who has taught him the power of friendship. Now, all the pieces are in play. The film becomes a contest for the possession of the teapot. In this contest, Lena's dad relearns the values of his old neighborhood. I'm voting this film for the best toilet gag of the year. Beyond that, the mix of Chinese and US ideas are actually a fascinating examination of the class struggle. The film represents unrestrained capitalism as being a force in society, yet presents traditional Chinese values, the community, as being superior. The pursuit of wealth is a trivial thing. It is trivial because it is a never-ending pursuit. You can never be wealthy enough to just stop pursuing it. And the people who pursue it never factor in the cost of that pursuit. The emperor loses his daughters, his son, and dies in the knowledge that no one respects him. Lena's father almost loses her through his neglect. The next episode is for Buzzsprout and Patreon supporters only. It will take us to Russia as we continue to look at the best science fiction films of all time with 1924's Ailita, Queen of Mars. If you're not a supporter, normal service will resume with an expedition to Smelly, 1895 France. If you're interested in more movie history, look out for Movie Chronicles 2021, currently in preparation and almost ready to be released at an e-store near you. If you love this podcast, think of prophylactic as a verb and send some of that love by becoming a Buzzsprout or Patreon supporter. Until next time, check the helmet seal, blast off! <laughs>